Good morning. Good morning, church. I, I miss you when I'm not here, and I just, I just love, so much love being here with, with you. My dad used to say, you're just saying it because it's true, but uh, I'm overwhelmed every time I stand in front of you as I remember just how much I love this church, and there's so many of you individuals that I know deeply and love and care for so much. Thank you to my elders for the privilege of, of speaking God's word here this morning. Pastor Daniel is in Florida, and uh, while he suffers there, we will enjoy time together this morning. I got a couple questions to ask you. If you had some time to think about who you are and really give us some serious thought, what would you say? How would you define or describe who you are? And then, what would you say about your conclusion? How do you think or feel about who you are? Second question would be, why are you here today in this room at Bethany Community Church? Big questions, I think. And uh, I say this often, we need to think about our thinking. And a lot of times we don't really give serious thought to who we are and why we're here. And this picture here is a picture of an ensemble, you might call it, or a philharmonic orchestra. And it gives us some help, I think, in, in thinking through this question of who we are. An ensemble is a group of people that come together for a single purpose. Philharmonic means philo, Greek, love for harmony. And these folks have come together. Think about the picture. There's, look at the individual faces. Everybody is different, uniquely, uniquely different, and yet they dress alike and they come for a purpose. They, they are celebrating their diversity in unity for the purpose of harmony. That's exactly why you are here today. If you are a believer, if you are a member of the body of Christ, he has called you to celebrate your diversity in unity, producing the beauty of harmony. And that is why we're here today. The text that we're going to read here, turn now to Romans chapter 11. The text that we're going to read, specifically verses 3 and 5 of chapter 12, is going to help us answer this question and see this in, in a, a bigger picture, I hope. So I'm going to read from chapter 11, beginning at verse 33. Please stand with me. As I read from verse 33 of Romans 11 to get the context of where we're headed, Paul has just begun, uh, finished describing some great things about God, and like he typically does, he just burst into praise. Listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, he quotes Isaiah, and who has been his counselor, he quotes Job, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and, and acceptable and perfect. 
Now to our text for this morning. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. You may be seated. Father, we exalt your name, and with Paul, we declare that you are a God of great mercy and unsearchable goodness. And we pray you would open our eyes this morning to see glimpses of this so that we would leave here changed with a better understanding of who you are and what you're up to, your purpose in our lives, as we discover and understand greater uh, what our identity is and what our purpose is. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Think about the flow of thought and what we just read. Paul exalts God, he praises him, and then he turns to us and says, present your bodies. Respond to the glory of God, give yourself to God, and renew your mind, and think soberly, seriously about who you are, know who you are, come into the body like the ensemble, join the group for the unity of the body so that there's harmony produced as you use your gifts to serve. That's the argument of the text we have in front of us today. So what we are going to do here is make much of a biblical self-assessment. You must know who you are. It is critical if you are going to fit within the, the, the orchestra, if you will, of the body of Christ. Now, don't hear me. Don't hear me say this is a message on self-esteem. It could not be farther from that message. In fact, the gospel knows nothing of self-esteem. And I believe by the end of the morning, you will understand why I say that. <clears throat> this is not about self-esteem. This is about a sober, biblical self-assessment to understand who you are and how you fit within the context of the body of Christ and how God expects you to respond to that gift. <clears throat> so backing up all the way to chapter 1 through chapter 11, I want you to think about a big picture that Paul has presented that causes him to say, present your bodies to living sacrifice, that causes him to say that you must think soberly. Why does he say that? He presents the gospel. Why did Paul write the book of Romans in the first place? There's lots of different reasons, but let me key on one. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. Through whom we, Christ, we've received grace and apostleship. Paul is talking about his position as an apostle in the church. He's been placed, if you will, in the symphony orchestra as a conductor by God's grace. Why is he doing what he's doing? Listen, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all, among all the nations. And a major reason I would argue that the, the book of Romans is preached that the, is that you and I would obey. Our faith would turn to obedience. 
He ends the book in the same way, the second to the last verse of the book, to the obedience of faith is why he's reading it, why he wrote it. Well, how in the world can my faith turn to obedience? In fact, how do I come to faith in Christ? He presents the gospel. So real quickly, I want to offer you a, uh, a summary of the gospel from Romans. It goes something like this. God is righteous, mighty creator, creates man in his image to walk in unison with, with God. Man rebels and sins and falls into eternal damnation. God the Father sends God the Son because he loves us to offer himself for us, to live perfectly, to die righteously, to be resurrected and, and ascended so that his grace can save us. And by his grace, we can have faith to believe and we can repent of our sin and we can respond to the gospel. And as a result of responding to the gospel, I should say there is a result of response to the gospel and that is obedience, the obedience. And Paul is pressing us now today with a, this is a personal call this message from Paul in verses 3 through 5 has a personal label to it. Your name's on it. Why do I say that? For 11 chapters, Paul has talked through the gospel indicatives or the truths about God and the gospel and you and me. Only 12 times has he ever made commands in 11 chapters. Daniel mentioned this a few weeks ago. But now it's different. In verse 3, he uses an individual, uh, not plural, a singular command. First time. This message has a your name on it, has my name on it. <clears throat> what is he saying to us today? Well, there's four things from this very message that we need to consider. One, he has a call, a personal call to us. Number two, a personal warning Number three, he commands us. He makes a command, a charge. And number four, he expects a result. So there's a call, a warning, a command with expectation of results. Let's walk through the text. Look, to, look at your Bible at Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and see what he has to say to you personally. He's got your name on it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, there's a personal statement addressing you. Note how he does it, though. He does it very, very humbly. He says, by God's grace, I'm speaking to you. He's not pulling the apostle uh, position at this moment so much as he is saying this. L look at this. He's saying, we are on the same level. You and I need desperately the grace of God. And I'm appealing to you to embrace what I have embraced, which is God's help for me to respond to what I'm going to say to you. That's very, very gracious. Look at the text, verse 3, verse, the first word for, what does that word have to, that word is weighty. He is saying, I'm going to say something to you that's going to require God's grace for you to hear it and to do something with it. But he's also looking back to chapter 12, 1 and 2, saying something about responding to the gospel. 
He's talking about live, becoming a living sacrifice. When a person sees God, sees man, sees fallenness and sin, sees Christ and grace, the response is faith and repentance, which means a living, we become a living sacrifice, which is a one-time proposition, if you will, with an ongoing result. And that's what this word for is connecting the living sacrifice to what he's going to say. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Four points back and points forward. Humbly, he says to every one of you, he says, if you are a living sacrifice, you must think soberly. Pardon me. If you are a living sacrifice, you must think soberly. There we go. If you are a living sacrifice. I believe what he's saying here is he's challenging us to think about it. Am I really truly a believer? Or he might say it this way, since you are a living sacrifice. He's calling upon our commitment or our response to the gospel. For by the grace given to me, I say unto every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Look at your text and look at how many times he uses the word think. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. He's calling us to think about our thinking. He's calling us to a biblical assessment of who we are and where we fit in the kingdom, the orchestra, if you will, of the church. Think about your thinking. So what he's arguing, I believe, here is the essential nature of any kind of response to the gospel starts right here. And if you look at this bridge, what we're seeing here is If we are going to get to the obedience of the faith, it starts right here with this message. Arguing, I believe, for an attitude of humility. If you are a living sacrifice, you must think soberly is the idea. There's the charge. You must think soberly. The call is follow me by grace as a living sacrifice. Renewed thinking, he says, starts with sober thinking. It starts with a biblical self-assessment. Know who you are. It starts with humility. Listen to what Jesus has to say about this point that Paul is making. Matthew 20, verse 26 and following, Jesus says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That's an attitude of humility. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man. You know, Luke 6, 40 says when a disciple is fully trained, he's going to be like his master. And our master is the conductor, is saying, follow me, be a servant, be a slave. You can't do that with high thinking. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus in John 13 says, this is how all men know if you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is the outflow of this very thing, humility, you see. So Paul calls us, every one of you, don't think more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly. Now notice what he's doing here. Between, Between this 
think soberly and living sacrifice, there's a gap there, and he points out to it right here. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. This is a fallen condition focus. Daniel talks about that often. You realize Paul is writing a letter to a group that largely he does not know. He's never met them. There's a, several people he knows in chapter 16. He names them. But by and large, he doesn't know these people. How can he know what they need? Answer, this is a universal fallen condition focus that we all struggle with, and that is high thinking. And so if we are going to get from living sacrifice to obedience, we must think soberly, but that won't happen with high thinking. And he says, do not think too highly of yourself. Well, what's that look like? Number one, assume, high thinking assumes that we have greater gifts or abilities than we actually have. Does that make sense? Assuming you have a greater gift or ability than you actually have. Mike likes to make fun of me because when I clap, it's usually offbeat. And if you don't have rhythm, don't sign up to be the drummer, right? Don't assume you have an ability that you don't have. I've asked him to let me sing for years. It ain't happened. Now today I'm going to turn my mic on and sing, <clears throat> and you can't stop me. So you might watch up here. <clears throat> don't assume you have gifts that you don't have. That's what he's, he's, he's going to talk to, how you fit in the body of Christ, how you are gifted, and how you are to serve. And the warning is, don't, don't land in a chair that you aren't gifted to land in. That's destructive, you see. Number two, thinking highly is taking credit for something you can't take credit for. Well, seriously, what can you take credit for? Yeah. Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not already, say it, received? Exactly. So why are you boasting if what you have that you're boasting is something you, don't, you didn't even do? You have a gift. Don't take credit for anything. Why? Because God has to work. Jesus makes this point strongly. He says, without me you can do nothing. High thinking takes credit for things that we shouldn't take credit for. I would argue that all of us struggle with that in some way. I learned, well, I've never learned this. I've had glimpses of it. Several years ago, Janelle and I were out on a double date with friends, and I hadn't seen this guy for quite a few years. We were childhood friends, and they were driving us to a restaurant, and we had been reminiscing, and we were laughing and just having uh, a great time. I had just cracked a joke of some kind, and he was, he was having a hard time driving. He was laughing so hard. He looks in the rear view mirror at me, and he says, Cloder, you know what I love about you? What would you do if somebody asked you that? I, I was sitting on the, on the seat. I went like this. What? And he says, nothing. <clears throat> well, don't assume that you have something to offer when you don't. It can get you into trouble. And, and that, that hit me because I just thought, you know, high thinking, Cloder. Not a good thing. It prevents you from ministry. It pre prevents you from right thinking, sober thinking. Number three, rejecting the fact that God has given you a gift. 
High thinking says, I don't have anything to offer. High thinking says, there's no reason for me to show up to the concert. I can't play. I don't have a a thing to give. That's high thinking. And you'll see why here in a minute. Because God says something radically different. High thinking also is just being discontented with the gift God has given you. I, uh, I love to sing. I would love to do what these folks do, but Cloder, it ain't going to happen. I need to be content with what I have. High thinking envies other people's gifts. Notice Paul is writing Romans from Corinthians, and notice in 1 Corinthians 12, he writes there that the Corinthian people were, were what? They were jealous of the flashy gifts, and high thinking covets flashy gifts. When we were at Bethany Baptist, there was a sweet couple, Bill and, and Juanita Kurtz, remember them? I would walk through the hallways uh, on Monday mornings, and they would just faithful, be faithfully serving, cleaning bathrooms, sweeping floors, emptying wastebaskets with joy. When we went to the new building, you know what? They, they, the new building was so much bigger, and they were wanting to, to ba- dial back a little bit. You know what they said? Can we at least clean the bathrooms? Satisfied, content, not looking for flashy things. It's a great, great witness. Well, high thinking is extremely dangerous to the, to the health of the body. So I want you to think a little bit about what high thinking might be in specifics. I'm going to give you a few things that, that are common that prevent people from really joining the body and serving. So these are themes that may be high thinking in your own soul. They may not. I'm asking you to consider it. Recurring themes of a sense of guilt that just gnaw, gnaw, and gnaw and keep you from joy. A recurring theme of a sense of failure might be high thinking on your part. You realize that failure and guilt are things that the gospel addresses. There is no need for us to live with that kind of pressure over weeks and months and years. Repetitive, gnawing thoughts could be a a, a warning that you have high thoughts in your mind. This one's very common. My parents told me that I would never amount to anything. And so I am going to prove them wrong. And high thinking says that I will do whatever it takes to be someone and prove to them that they're wrong. And so you see people even in the church that are doing incredible things, but they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. That destroys the unity of the body, and it certainly doesn't bring blessing to the soul. More to the point of the context of the passage, Paul is saying don't think more highly than you ought to think because you're going to fit into the body so you can serve the body what does high thinking look like? It, it looks like, <clears throat> like this. Ignoring advice that others give you about where you can serve and placing yourself someplace where other people say you're not gifted or chafing against other people who are preventing you from serving the way you want to. High thinking says, you know, you didn't ask me, I'm not serving. Or you didn't ask me in the way that I think you should. I'm not serving. That's high thinking. Or pride, just flat out pride. Or 
Lastly, it says something like this. I just plain, plain don't want to. I don't want to serve. I'm too busy. That is thinking too highly of ourselves, higher, higher than we ought to think. That kind of thinking destroys the unity of the body. We had a, when I was in high school, we had a, a kid in our, our team <clears throat> that uh, really thought he had a lot of talent. Uh, and now one day we understood why he, th- he thought that. His dad showed up one night at practice. And this guy was a big man. He was a state trooper. He was smoking a cigar. He came into the coach's office, sat down, put his feet up on the coach's desk, and puffed away. The next day, his son was playing. And his son did not have the talent. And it destroyed the unity of the team, destroyed the harmony of the team. And uh, guess what? We lost. Of course, we were 2-19 and 19 that year, so what difference does it make? <laughs> the point is this. Don't put yourself in a place where you don't belong and listen to other people if they try to direct you in a different way than you want to. Back to the point of the passage. If you're a living sacrifice, you must think soberly. What does sober thinking look like? There's four things that I plead with you to think about as you think about this idea of The church is like an orchestra. Four things that come out of this passage, I believe. Number one is sober thinking, biblical assessment of your identity in Christ. Who are you really? What does the Bible say? What does the gospel really say about who you are? Number two, what does the Bible say about who you are and how you fit in the body? Your identity personally, your identity in the group. And number three is what is your your gift Thinking soberly about your gift. And number four, what's your purpose in your gift? What does he want? What's the result of the gospel? Remember the gospel, God, man, sin, Christ's grace, response. Now it's time for a result. Well, how? How am I supposed to do this? Back to your text. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. How? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You might be saying, I can't, I can't do this. I see so many people around this church that are serving. I can't, I can't, I can't. And the scripture says, think according to the measure of faith that God has given you. That's not the faith, the saving faith. This is talking about the faith that corresponds with the gift that you have. It goes like this. I choose to respond to the truths about me and my gift with total dedication, knowing that these are true truths that I can stand on. So if you look at your drawing here, I've got this idea of a bridge, and I'm going to call it this way, the bridge of biblical self-assessment or humility, sober thinking, according to the measure of faith, rests on this truth. Listen, when God graces you with a gift, God equips you with his grace to serve in that way. When God graces you with his gift, he gives you his grace to do what he calls you to do. Well, I'm going to give you an illustration of what that looks like. Here's one of my favorite theologians on faith. This is uh, Indiana Jones.
Well, I'm not uh, advertising Indiana Jones. I've never seen the movie. But I think that this is an incredible picture of what it means to think soberly according to the measure of faith that God has given you. That little catwalk appeared to him, although it was always there. And when God tells you something about you, even though you can't see it, faith believes it. Faith is believing God's word out of a heart of worship of God, living sacrifice, for the glory of God, regardless of what I think or what I feel, knowing that God promises me a good result in his own time. And Indiana Jones teaches us what that looks like. When God calls you to do something, you know he's going to equip you to do it. So thinking soberly about your gifts is, begins with thinking soberly about your identity. Listen to this. I took a, some time and went through the entire um, um, first 11 chapters of Romans and talked through what are the things that God says, the gospel says about me when I am a new creature, when I come to faith in Christ as a new creature, what, what changes about me? So I summarized it this way. This is as short as I can make it. But sober thinking about your identity in Christ sounds like this in your head. I'm loved by God. I'm called to be a saint. The riches of God's kindness gave me the gift of repentance. Think of that one. I am justified by faith, though through the redemption that's in Christ, I am baptized and made one with Christ through his death and resurrection. Through him I have access by faith into this grace in which I stand. I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. I have the righteousness of God. I live from faith to faith. And I can and will choose to rejoice in my sufferings, knowing that my suffering produces endurance, character, hope without shame. Because God's love is poured into my heart. <clears throat> leading me to eternal life through Christ Jesus, my Lord, and I rejoice in hope for the glory of God. That's who you are. If, if those things are true and if you stand on those truths, who needs to bo boister your self-esteem? There's no need for it. Self is not even in it. This is all about the glory of God. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches of Christ, of the mercies of God, this is what it means to change our identity. And, and to, to move across this bridge starts here, thinking in right relationship with God. Number two, it moves towards thinking soberly about my identity in the, in the body of Christ. Verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, which means this. We're individually members one of another. Thinking soberly says this. I belong to you. You belong to me. The body needs me. I need the body. I think soberly about myself, my relationship with the body, and I think soberly about my gifts. My gift, I know, because Romans 4, 12, 4, listen to what it says. Not all members have the same function. I'm gifted to serve in a certain way, to sit in a certain seat, if you will, in the orchestra. 
And God has given me a gift. Listen to what 1 Peter 4 has to say. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. You see, sober thinking starts with knowing who I am, where I fit, and the fact that God has given me a gift. If you are living sacrifice, you must think soberly so that you serve with sincere love. That's the point of all this. Thinking soberly says, I have a purpose, and that is to use my gifts to, to love the body. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. This is where all this is going. This service, this fitting within the body, this celebrating diversity and unity for harmony is an expression of love for each other. Let love be genuine. Let love one another, verse 10, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent. This means to be fired up by the Holy Spirit to do what God has called you to do, to walk across, if you will, the bridge of faith with sober thinking so that you serve the way God has called you. Well, you might be saying, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not in a place right now. I'm really hurting. There's hope. There's hope for the hurting. There's a spectrum here that God is calling us to respond to in this. He has called us. He's warned us. He's charged us. He says there's a result, and the result is to serve in love. But what about the person who's really, really hurting? You serve the body of Christ when you allow other people to serve you. Listen, if, if everyone is serving and no one is receiving the serving, the body doesn't function. How many of you have received meals in the last year from other people? That's an act of service when you receive a gift. High thinking says, no, I shouldn't be receiving. I should be giving. Well, once in a while, we have to receive help from other people. There's a spectrum here of how we apply this teaching. And even broken people serve the body of Christ and are functioning the way they're supposed to function when you or I in that state allow other people to minister to us. Some of the greatest gifts I have experienced in this church is when people have allowed me to minister to them. So don't think that this takes you out of the loop. We're all called to be engaged in some way, and some of us just need to receive the gift of ministry. Look at chapter 15, where I get this, verse 1. We are who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up for his edification. For Christ did not please himself. These things were written in former days for our instruction that through endurance and encouragement you might have hope. Listen to what he says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Back to the original picture when a person comes to Christ in saving faith, he, he presents himself as a living sacrifice and joins the orchestra of the church for unity. We leave our individuality, but we bring our diversity and celebrate it, which creates harmony for the glory of God. And listen to what Paul says in chapter 15. Together, 
you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. This is an awesome blessing that we have. <clears throat> that God calls us to live in harmony with one another. We can do that only to the extent that we present ourselves a living sacrifice. We reject high thinking. We think soberly about who we are in relationship with Christ, who we are in the body, the fact that we do have a gift whether it feels like it or not, and we choose to serve one another with genuine or sincere love. That's what makes the harmony of the body of Christ and the beauty of that harmony. If you're a living sacrifice, you must think soberly so that you serve with sincere love. Now you might say, well, this isn't in our text, but if you look down to um, verse 6 and following, it describes some of the uses of the gifts. And a lot of people get hung up at this point in the application stage. Don't fuss so much with gift. What is your gift? Just serve. Just get involved. Ask where you can fit in. Ask where the need is. I think the greatest way to find what your gift is is just start serving. Sometimes it takes years to really know. But here's an example. One individual that uh, is acquainted with our family for about 20 years struggled as a believer. Where do I fit? Where do I fit? Where do I fit? Went on a short-term mission trip. And uh, during that nine or ten days of serving and pouring into the lives of other people, he, uh, <clears throat> the thought crossed his mind, huh, maybe... Maybe I have the, the gift of pastoring. Never occurred to him. Middle-aged guy. Several years later, God actually worked, worked it out. And between that time and then, what was he doing? Menial tasks, just working. The point here is this. You will maybe find your gift. You may not. The call is to serve. To serve with genuine love. And the way you best find your gift is not by a test. I, I took a test way, a long time ago about spiritual gifts, and I thought, well, this, this is not helpful because I could have given this to my, my unbelieving neighbor and he would come, apart, come out with a, a spiritual gift. Let other people who observe the work of the Lord in you tell you how you're gifted. Listen to other people and allow other people to say where you're best used. It was the extended period of time of just faithful waiting on the Lord and serving that helped this individual find, if you will, his sweet spot. <clears throat> you can do the same thing, but start small. One individual uh, along that same line showed up at his, his church and said, asked his elders, his new church, said, said something like this, I don't know what my gift is. I just want to serve. I want to be a part of this body. I'm committing to this body, and I'm committing to your authority and leadership. You tell me what my gift is. I'll trust God to work through you. Just put me to work. I'll even clean the toilets. Just let me serve. That is the greatest way I believe you can find out what your gift is. But if you, live, if you are a living sacrifice, you must think so soberly about yourself so that 
you can serve in genuine love for Christ and thereby celebrate unity with your diversity using your diverse gift for the harmony, the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your, your goodness in our lives. We praise you for your mercy. And we ask you that you would please open our hearts to these truths. Help us to understand them more deeply. Help us to hate high thinking and pride. And help us to love your church. And to, in faith, believe that you will work within us using the gift you give us to serve your, your body and to further your kingdom for the sake of your name, a name among the nations. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
forever be thy only boast is you hallelujah all I have is Christ This is what happens when you don't take your Bible back with you. Bear with me just a second. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. I would like to pray a prayer of benediction over us. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And make the Lord make, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Bev, good morning. Hey, Trav, good to see you, man. It's good to see you out in the crowd. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, that's my microphone.